0: Well, welcome. I would encourage you all to just take out your message notes this morning. You don't have any, Josh? Well, we can fix that. This guy gave us a bit of a start because on Thursday morning the doorbell went and completely unannounced he arrived from Southern California. His mother nearly had a heart attack, which is great. Today I want to talk about something that you probably have never heard in church before, but it's in the Bible. So as your pastor, it is my job to help balance your diet. Today we're going to talk about how to keep you and me on track in a pleasure-seeking, crazed culture where everything's about taking life easy and relaxing. In fact, the BBC saw this as such a powerful, powerful force in in England that they did an entire series called Addicted to Pleasure. Interesting reading. You can get that on BBC On Demand. Interesting. The fact is, though, I want to give you a balanced approach to this today. God gave you five senses and He gave you the capacity to enjoy pleasure. It was actually His idea. But there's an interesting word in that BBC documentary which is not part of God's plan. And it's the word addicted. Pleasure is good, addiction is not. He gave you five senses, hear, taste, touch, smell and feel. And let me just say it in one sentence so we're clear. Life, Jesus said I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Life is meant to be enjoyed not just endured. Sometimes you talk to some Christians and they've got the balance of well, you know, it's so austere and ascetic down this end, and other Christians will all lives a full blown party at the other end. Today we're gonna to look at what the Bible says at the balance of this. But first of all, I want to give you a word that some of you might find difficult from the Bible. I'm gonna pick it up for the full context of it, so you get this. First Timothy six seventeen, a great verse to study by yourself. First Timothy six seventeen, Command those who are rich in this present world. And just before we go any further, that's you. That's me. You're living in New Zealand. We are, and it sounds terrible to say in church, but we are filthy rich. Filthy rich. Those of you who are just supported by social welfare, you are filthy rich. Those of us who are not, we're even more filthy rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. This is to us. This is to me. And this is to you. Do not be arrogant. Nor do not put your hope in wealth. Did you hear that, friend? Ian, did you hear that? Do not put your hope in wealth. In the same way, you would find it repugnant to be called arrogant. Here, Paul addressing Timothy says, it is also repugnant to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, here's the turning point. Here it comes. But put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now there's a lot of subtleties in that verse, and we're gonna unpack those later. But Paul is speaking to the most those who are most in danger of having an incorrect attitude. He's giving these people, and maybe us today, the Holy Spirit, an attitude adjustment towards God. And those people who are most at danger are the wealthy. The problem in our culture, as you saw from the BBC, is pleasure seeking has become the goal, the almost subtle goal of most people's lives is being ascribed the ultimate value for many people having fun and pleasure is the number one god small g the idol that they serve weekly he also says same guy second timothy 3 4, 4 and this is a sobering one in the last days there will be people who will prefer That means put this above the other. Good times above worshipping God. Paul is crystal clear. Good times should never be above worshipping God. But he says in the last days, that will be the case. So my question to you today, and as a family, I want us to look at and be prepared and forearmed is how do you live in a culture like that? Even in our daily conversations as Christians, you'll hear phrases that often include and indicate that pleasure is the most important thing, you know. How many times I've heard, well, I've got to look out for number one. Don't worry, be happy. Thank God it's Friday. Yeah. These kind of words indicate that we live in a very experience-oriented society. Where the ultimate question is, well, if I do that or don't do that, how's that gonna make me feel? I read an excerpt from a very interesting book this week. It was actually a stunningly good book called The Unreality Industry. Subtitle, The Deliberate Manufacturing of Falsehood and What It Is Doing to Our Lives. The Deliberate Manufacturing of Falsehood and What It Is Doing to Our Lives. It was talking about how pleasure is big business. We're in a 24-hour entertainment society now. Everything has to entertain us. The news has to entertain us. Sometimes people have this completely unbiblical expectation that church should entertain us. And sometimes people review church, I'm sure we don't, but I've heard it, like a video, well, that was good, that wasn't so good. Hang on. Church is for God. Our worship is for God. Our, to, our society is built on this attitude of let's have fun now and we'll pay later pay later. It's easy to begin to think like everybody else in our culture that the whole purpose of my life is just to enjoy myself. Let me say, categorically and biblically, that is not true. It's a lie. It's a, come this way. Watch it. That is a flat lie. Life is far more significant than you being put here on earth to simply just enjoy yourself, consume resources, retire and die. In fact, there are at least five clear dangers that the Bible, which is summarised today, associate with making pleasure the ultimate goal of your life. And quickly I'm going to run through them. One, it'll waste your life. The Bible is super clear about that. Two, it will cause conflict with others. Three, it tempts me to do wrong. Four, you will eventually end up being bored out of your tree. Five, it can destroy my character. Now, they've been synthesised from a whole bunch of verses in the Bible, but let me quickly give them to you. One, it wastes my life. You weren't put on earth just to pursue pleasure. God has far greater purpose for your life. He wants you to be productive, not just to take up space and have fun. Look at this verse here in Luke chapter eight and verse 14. Let's read this a little bit more slowly. So it sinks in. Remember, Jesus is speaking. Our Lord and our master. And with his authority, we read this. It says, the seed fell among thorns. Stands for those who hear. Maybe like everyone of us in this room today, and those of you listening upstairs and on the internet. But as they go on their way, they are choked by three things. Notice three things that get these guys who hear God's word: one, worries; two, riches; and three, circle pleasures. And look at the next verse, and that part of it, and they do not. Mature. Three things here. Worries, riches, and pleasure. Those things cause the Christian to not mature. It's like if you had a fruit tree that sat there, and for some dumb reason, some of that fruit just never matures. It doesn't matter if you're a social butterfly on the lifestyles of the rich and famous, or you're an addict. The bottom line and the commonality here of the upmarket and downmarket, same thing, is both are living for pleasure. And neither of them is making any contribution to life. It's just a waste of a life built on just pursuing pleasure. Number two, it causes conflict with others. The Bible says this in James chapter 4 and verse 1. Where do all the fights and the quarrels come from? They here's really the answer. They come from your desires for pleasure. Greek, hedoni. Hedoni. Sounds familiar to hedonism? This is where we get the word. When everyone seeks their own pleasure, strife, the Bible says there, hatred divisions result. Ever watch two kids arguing over the TV channels? Man, we used to be having punch-ups and rolling around the floor over those things. (laughs) We had one of those remotes, Pat, that was wired. Do you remember that? (laughs) Called remote. (laughs) Have you ever argued with your husband or wife over where you're going for your vacation or your day off? See, when pleasures take priority over people, then there's going to be friction. And the Bible says that the pursuit of pleasures can cause conflict in relationships. Three, it tends me to do wrong. This is a very subtle but very clear verse. It says, There is pleasure in sin for a short time. Let me be clear about that. There is pleasure in sin for a short time. Have you ever heard the phrase, Well, it's as ugly as sin. Anybody ever heard that verse? Well, the problem is though, initially, sin doesn't appear ugly at all. It's attractive. And seductive. See, if sin was just a bummer, nobody would ever do it. But it's got an appearance of being beautiful and giving you what you want. Now you can have your kicks, but you will get your kickbacks. The Bible is very honest. It doesn't last If pleasure is the most important thing in your life, then you'll do sometimes almost anything to experience it, even if it's wrong, even if it goes against what God says, even if it says don't. In fact, in 1716, the French atheist philosopher Voltaire wrote this. This is his philosophy for life. You should see where it ended in him up. Pleasure is the object, the duty and the goal of all rational creatures. That's called hedonism. Now, if pleasure is the object and the duty and the goal of all rational creatures, here's the catch. It doesn't matter a hoot who gets hurt in the pursuit of that. It doesn't matter who gets used as long as it pleases you, that's fine. And 250 years later, a guy said, I'm gonna build a magazine on that. And his name was Hugh Hefner. And the playboy philosophy was born. Do whatever the heck you want; doesn't matter. What I am to anyone else. There are no rules, as long as you just please yourself. Three at least. Uh, excuse me. Four at least to boredom. If you want to know the end result of just living a life which is well resourced and pursuing pleasure, save your breath and your time and your money. I can tell you what's down there. Just read Solomon's biography. It's called Ecclesiastes. And I want to pick it up from chapter 2, verse 1 and 10 and 11. He says here, I decided to enjoy myself. Anything I wanted, I got. Didn't hold anything back, right? I did not deny myself any pleasure. Then I thought about all I had done and I realised it didn't mean a thing. It's like chasing the wind. I've no use at all. He was saying that self-indul- uh, self-indulgence leads to despair. And I tell you what, if you've tried a whole bunch of stuff and just pursued that and that's not picking you up, where do you go? You have to increase the hit. See, life was meant to be more than one pleasure after another. In fact, I've noticed if you, if you chase self-fulfillment in your life, Two laws come into effect. The first one is the law of diminishing returns. It's not meant to be an economics lecture. It's meant to be a life lesson from the Scriptures. The more you repeat something, the more you have to do it to get the same amount of buzz or thrill. It doesn't matter whether it's decorating your home or driving a fast car or learning some fantastic hobby or taking drugs. Each time that has to be a little bit heavier because the law of diminishing returns kicks in. Friends, God never meant you to find your ultimate purpose in pleasure. Now, there's just another law that goes into effect when you make pleasure number one goal of your life, and it's the law of balance. Too much of a good thing,
1: and it doesn't matter whether it's
0: eating a steak or whatever, too much of a good thing ruins it. You choose your best restaurant, your favourite restaurant. If you go there time and 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 time again, eventually... Here you go. No thanks. Or if you've you've eaten a beautiful meal, and then all of a sudden, if you see a whole bunch more food, have you ever felt slightly nauseated at the thought of eating more food, even though it was good? You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Part of what makes pleasure pleasurable is it's balanced with work and other things. So the inevitable result of pursuit of pleasure is boredom and despair. Fifth, the Bible says it will destroy my character. This is pretty tough. First Timothy 5.6. six says, "The one who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. It is dead. The person who makes pleasure, their goal is not living. They're existing from fun time to fun time, from pleasure to pleasure." The Phillips translation of it says this: This person is killing their own soul. How does that happen? Well, we can pick that up in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. This is another sobering verse. This is giving you the balance in Scripture. For as I have often told you before, this is a repeated message, and now I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. What? these people satisfied their own desires before thinking about the needs of others he's talking about here all of them focused on their own attainments if you look at the background and thus making them enemies of the cross and he says, their destiny is destruction their god is their stomach in other words they were worshipping temporal things giving their lives to that but only physical uh, those physical desires And it says, their glory is their shame. Here's the last point of that verse. Their mind is on earthly things. I think the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something here. It is so easy to be wrapped up in totally earthly things. This is not what it's all about. Most of our culture is focused on earthly things. So how do I, as a Christian, navigate this environment without buying into that system that says my purpose in life is to just enjoy myself, make my life comfortable? Because if you do that, I'm telling you, you'll take zero risk for Jesus. You will not extend yourself for Jesus. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way. See, everybody wants Jesus as, as we said before, their passenger. Are we prepared to get our eyes and minds off earthly things and focus on the things that are important to him? So how do I keep myself from getting sucked into this pleasure-obsessed society? Number one, just three quick things. Number one, I need to get a sharp focus on the real purpose of life. That's why you come to hear God's Word as it washes over our minds and our hearts. Continually remind yourself that the purpose of life is more than being entertained, more than experiencing thrill after thrill, more than feeling good, more than just getting to retirement. What is that anyway? Can I suggest to you as a Christian, expunge that word from your vocabulary. The word is repurpose. You've got trillions of years the other side. This is such a short time. Work while well, you can work in cooperation with God's Spirit as it gives you opportunity. God did not create you to simply have a life goal of retirement. I overheard standing in the line the other day at the, uh, at the supermarket, and she was just coming to a friend. She said, Oh, yeah, apart from, she said, Thank God it's Friday. Second tagline was, I just live for the weekend. Ever heard that? Yeah. To me, that will be a very superficial purpose. If life becomes defined by how soon do I get to go on the next night on the town? Or how soon do I get back to the golf course? Or the next shopping spree? (laughs) Or how soon can I get my next trip? See, life simply then becomes defined by pleasure. And friends, in the light of of eternity, that is trivia. That is a trivial pursuit. First Timothy 4, verse 2, from the Good News Version. From now on, live the rest of your lives controlled by God's will, not by human desires. So you have two options in this life. You can either say, I'm going to be controlled by God's will, or my desires. God's will is not focused on earthly things. It carries on. You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. Your lives are spent in indecency, lust, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. And now when you don't join them, they insult you. (laughs) But they will give an account. Notice they will give an account of themselves to God. Now that you're a believer, he's saying here you have a new purpose in life. You don't need to live the old way that you used to live. As Janis Joplin called them, cheap thrills. They don't last. Remember the real purpose of life. God says the goal is to know Him and to love Him and to serve Him. And out of all of that comes real pleasure, comes real meaning, and comes real purpose. See, Rome fell apart as an empire. Not because of outward pressures and from dominating armies out there, it fell apart because of internal decadence. That's why it fell apart. People who had just begun to self-indulge themselves. Russell Kirk, social critic, defines decadence this way. Decadence is the loss of an aim or purpose in life. The loss of an aim or purpose in life. And I pray God's Holy Spirit will arrest your attention this morning and call you back to your purpose in Christ as his ambassador. He carries on, men and women become decadent when they forget or deny the object of their life and so fritter away their years in trifles, that's not dessert trifles, (laughs) or debauchery. Our society is largely involved in trivial pursuit. So, the first way to avoid trivial pursuit is to remember the real purpose of living. Second, I want to say to you that life is a balancing act. And so, we want to bring back the balance. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes there is a time for everything there's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry, there's a time for play. And there's a time for work. Now, some of you who work so much need to remember there's a time for play. And some of you who play too much need to remember there's a time to work. There's a balance. There's a time for seriousness, not planning off all the time, but sometimes a time for lightheartedness and having fun. we we'll have got about eight of us coming in our place next week. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're, we're, all of us work hard, but our wives, we know each have 30 years. and We're going to laugh our heads off. In fact, last time it was almost our wives need to throw all those four guys out the door because we were laughing so much. We couldn't get a sensible word in the edgeways. So there's a time for fun, but there's a time for hard work. And if you want to look at a model for balanced life, you need to look at Jesus. He was certainly on a mission. But let me tell you this, in case somebody pushes that point too far that way, he was not an ascetic. One of these guys who was up in the mountains, removed like a Trappist monk. He knew to have fun. How do I know? Count the number of parties he went to. Get back, Go check it. Read the Bible. Check it. See how many parties he went to. He knew how to enjoy himself as well. So the point I want to make is this. If you don't have a plan for healthy pleasures like recreation, like rest, like relaxation, you will be tempted with unhealthy pleasures. And they are everywhere in the society. Paul understands this balance. He says this. I love this. First Corinthians, same guy talking. For the earth and every good thing in it belongs to who, and it is yours to see. The see the balance. God made an enjoyable creation. We are to enjoy it, and you have to have the balance. But he also says here in 1 Corinthians 6, back a few chapters, verse 12, I am not going to let anything dominate me. And you may want to circle the word dominate there because it's a very important word. You can enjoy many things without compromising your biblical standards. Did you hear that? Many things. If you don't let them control you and don't let them dominate you. Remember, to avoid the trivial pursuits of the culture, you need to, one, remember the real purpose of life. Two, enjoy balanced living. And three, avoid destructive pleasures. The third thing we need to do in our culture, that is, some of the activities that God says very clearly in Scripture are wrong when you stay away from. For example, here's one. Ephesians 5, he says very clearly, do not Get drunk. It doesn't say don't drink. You can't make a case for that in the Bible. I heard a lot of people falsely say that. It's not true. But it says do not get drunk. That's a no-no. That's off the table. It says don't get intoxicated. Why? Because you're letting something else control you when you say stupid things and do stupid things when you're drunk. It's the opposite of self-control, which happens to be a fruit of the Spirit. God expects you to be in control of yourself, not blathering off at the mouth or the fist or whatever else. Second, here's another one. Second Peter chapter two verse nineteen, he says, "Don't get addicted to anything." That could be television. That could be food. That could be bodybuilding. Copious hours going into that, and God gets this much, and a balance. It could be jogging, hours gone. Anything could be squash, could be golf. You should have here. The point is this: you should have one master in your life, and that is God. First Corinthians six eighteen says this: Do not. This is off the table. Do not get involved in sexual immorality. And that'll save you a lot of heartaches and a few diseases on the side. All the laws and the prohibitions in the Bible are for your benefit. Whenever God says no, it's because He loves you and He's far smarter than you. And He says, don't do that. It's going to damage you. It's going to damage your soul. And if you go, nah, what you're really saying, cold hard tax? I know better than you, God. To me, that would be a tad Arrogant. Titus 2.11 says this, for the grace of God teaches us to say no to worldly passions and to live self controlled lives. So, way before the t shirts came out with it, God said, Here, just say no. That's what he said. No is a word that some Christians are embarrassed to use, they'll never be embarrassed to use that word. There's no embarrassment in that. In fact, psychologists have a word for the function of being unable to say no. It's called an addiction. Is there hope? Absolutely there is. Titus 3.3 says this. For we ourselves were one slaves. See, when you're a slave or an addict to something and you, and you keep on repeating that behaviour and you can't seem to stop it, it's an addiction. We we're one slaves to our passions and pleasures. There we are. We were once, formerly, back there, BC, before Christian days. We were slaves, but thank God now we are free. He says, But when the kindness of God, and, uh, uh, the kindness and love of God appeared, He saved us. And apart from forgetting that passion and pleasure, He gave us a new life. That's what the scriptures say a new life, a new direction. Good news is a new life is available you do not have to stay uh, strapped to your passion and your pleasure. God will help you. And He'll free you from that slavish pull to live that life of passion and pleasure. And He'll help you bring that back under God's control. So why are people so obsessed with pleasure-seeking? Why is our society so pleasure-conscious? In a nutshell, I think it's, a way of anesthetizing themselves from pain and their hurt and their disappointment and their frustration with life. Many people fill their lives with hobbies, and they're gone a lot. Sometimes I've found because they don't want to face their hurt in their marriage, or the fact that their kids are just not turning out the way they'd hoped. And so they escape to romance novels or daytime TV or sport or many other things. And it begins to consume their lives because they are running, running. So we need to ask ourselves a question sometimes, am I running from something? Why do I have this constant desire to go from one pleasurable experience to the next? And the more stressed our society becomes, and you can count on it, it's going to get more stressful, more stressful judging by the roads, even yesterday, the more desperately people are going to be searching for diversions to anaesthetise the pain and the confusion. So question this morning, am I running from guilt? Am I angry? Am I insecure? If I'm hopping around from relationship to relationship, what is it I'm really looking for? Why aren't they working out? Because see, there's an emptiness in every person's life. And there's a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. And when we don't fill it with God, I guarantee you we will try to fill it with other cheap, trivial pursuits and substitutes. And you will have a thrill for a while, but it'll be like a treadmill. The efficacy or the, um, the, uh, the potency of that will depreciate. And after a while... That familiar gnawing emptiness will return. Because stuff is stuff. There's no joy in that. What you're really yearning for in that emptiness is a yearning for God. He made you and He loves you dearly. And you're not here by accident and you matter to Him and you want to work in your life and turn you around to move you towards Him and His purposes. The fact that you're alive means that he's not through with you. And although the world offers many cheap substitutes, can I suggest to you humbly this morning, accept no substitutes. And the great news is when you come to know Jesus Christ, he not only gives you the capacity to enjoy a relationship with God that you never had before, but you enjoy yourself and your life like you've never done before, and you enjoy His world like you've never done before because you're in tune with Him and He made you. And that's what many people are looking for. Some may be in your house, some may be at your work. That is a deep longing they're looking for. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. When you let your life be mastered by Christ, He brings all these other pleasures and joys into their true focus. And then they can take on new meaning. And life develops a rich texture. What you're really looking for this morning is God. Would you come face to face with Him now in your own heart? Just shut everybody else out for a moment. And have a heart to heart discussion and session with God. Join me with your mind and just saying, Jesus Christ, I believe that you made me for a greater purpose than just to enjoy myself, to look from one thrill to the next. I believe that you love me and that you want to know me. So today I want to open my life up to You and I want to know You. Father, would You fill my heart with abundant life and take away the emptiness from the loneliness and the boredom and the despair. Some of you here today are struggling with an area of your life that you know has got control of you, especially in your thought life. In fact, some of those things you wouldn't want anybody else to know because you'd be embarrassed. But God knows there's not a thought that goes across your mind that isn't transparent to Him. God knows and He wants to help you. And He wants to give you the power to get over those thoughts and to break those thoughts and to begin a new life. Would you say yes to Him today? Would you say, yes, Jesus Christ, I want to change. I want to break the power of this habit in my life. And I want to say yes to you. Father, for those who are sitting here, who sensed Your Spirit speaking to them about reprioritizing their lives by seeking the things that are above and the things of Your Kingdom. Father, thank You for Your Word, which is both encouraging and correcting at the same time. Thank you for showing us how to live. Help us to be a different people in a pleasure crazed culture. We ask this in your powerful name. And everybody said, Amen.